out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Derek Philport. Yes, he of D&D Philport, who've been bringing out various books recently, which have been absolutely fantastic. First, Dear Mr. Kershaw, Dear Mr. Popstar, and also Grammar Free in the UK. But this next one, which has just come out in the autumn of 2023, is titled Dear Catherine Will, Bonkers Letters to the UK Indie Bands with Genuine Replies. I'll give you the link to how you can buy a copy, available from all good bookshops and also online. Probably better online, though. Um, So anyway, this is the interview. You'll find out much more about Derek life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff and also what a brilliant public publication and book this is. So after several minutes of interest and but casual chat we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Derek, David, no just Derek, um, yes tell us your musical awakening. Tell us now. Over to you. Wow I mean I've always been interested in music. I mean my my dad's brother was one of the founder members of the Who, he was the, they called the Detours. His name's Colin Dawson. Um, but we didn't. We, but other than that, there was there was no musical connection. We didn't have a record player. Nobody in, in the house was interested in music. My first memory of music was probably Ernie, you know, the Benny Hill thing when I was about Classic. four. Classic. Yeah, yeah. But um, but then I got into like um, new wave. I was into Elvis Costello, Costello, Jury. Blondie, um, you know uh, all of that stuff, and then one day a friend of mine, you know, you get, you know, you get a new kid at the school joined, and we got on, and his brother was obsessed with American metal, so it was like American hard rock. So he got me into Kiss and Cheat Trick and Bloister Cult, Stars, Angel, Sammy Hagar, and then I got into metal, and then my gateway band was Marillion because they were like the straddling between metal and prog and through Marillion, that was my gateway into all things prog and cardiacs. And so I've had like gateway bands or gateway bands or people that I've met that have actually taken me down that next road, you know, strange that stuff stuff is, you know, just chance meetings or, you know, chance meetings with a new person or a new band. And that's, and then you go, well, what else sounds like this? And then you got, Bands that you've never heard of, like I got into Genesis and they got me into Gentle Giant and Egg and the Polite Force. It's just little just avenues that you drive down, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. We love those avenues and rabbit holes. They always make yeah. us quite gives us hours of entertainment. So were you were your parents at all into music? Did they have no, a no, 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 nothing? There was nothing. There was nothing at all. We we don't know where it came from. I've I've got no no interest in sport, football. I, I love film. But music's my go-to. It's been my session all my life. And there's been no, we can't trace it back. No. <laughs> it's just crazy. You know? It is kind of weird. So when did you, who did you say, was that your brother, did you say, Colin Dawson? Or... My, 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 my dad's brother was the was one of the founder members of The Who. Right. I got they you. Were called, they were called The Detours. And it was my, my dad's brother. My uncle Colin was the vocalist. Roger was on guitar, Pete was on guitar, John was on bass, and they had another drummer called Dougie Sandham who preceded Keith. And all they were, mate, was just this covers band. They just did the clubs and pubs around Greenford and Acton. 
Right. That's all they. That, that's all they were. That's, and it, but I, I've, I've often said to my dad, his uncle Colin, um, you know, because he's still friends with them. He's still friends with, with, with Roger and Pete. I said, does he have any regrets? And the, the the answer was pretty much it had to be those four people. And I absolutely agree with that. You know, it was yes. the chemistry, the chemistry between those four people, and you had this incredible thing where. The drummer is following the vocalist, you know. The the, the guitarist is 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 like um, bolting it all down in the same way as the rhythm section was, and the bassist is playing lead. It, it, there's been no other band like it. No, this is true. My God, that's such a great connection, isn't it? Really, sort of. Um, yeah. Yes, the Who, the dear old Who. So, when did you when you got to sixteen? Did you leave school at that stage, or did you stay on yeah. to? No, I was in a band. I was in. I was in. I was. I, 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 with, with this this friend that I told you about. Um. We formed a covers band when I was 13 and we were, we were in the working men's clubs by sort of 14, 15. We were, we were this novelty because we were playing 60s music in, in, in the bars and in the working men's clubs. And, right. um, and then when, and then but on, on the choir, I was still into this new wave. And then, as I said, this friend got me into American rock. And um, then I found my found myself in an indie band just this little indie band and that's how I knew the art box and that's how you know it's really interesting with this new book that I've just put out I think well I, I actually gig with you guys you know or, or, or like Cooler Shake I remember when you were the K's you know and you <laughs> see all these bands and they changed their names they changed their names didn't they just 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 at the dawn of, of, of Britpop yes so when you hit 16 what year was that that was uh, about 1983. Right, a classic year for indie pop, really, wasn't it? That was the year of the the Smiths. I put down the Smiths as a as a, as a sort of a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal moment, really, in music. Because for five years, suddenly there is this this new kind of chapter that happens, isn't it? And then what I found every three to five years, there's another new chapter, and all those bands are kind of like they either have to make it into stadium rock or they just shuffle off and shrivel up somewhere don't they generally they have well, that much it's interesting because the, the smiths are, are, are a landmark band because with a lot of music you can pretty much trace the roots but I, when it comes to the smiths i can't think of anything that came before it that was anything like it and especially when you look at johnny Marr's supposed influences being like the guitarist from the average white band and i can't hear any of that in the smiths they just seem to stand alone and i can't find any precedent towards that band Do you yes. understand? well john peel was a little bit the same with the smiths kind of not think you know because with a lot of bands he listened to he thought oh yeah that just sounds like elo that sounds like status quo that sounds like the birds whereas the smiths were quite unusual and then then you sort of heard especially when reading you know morrissey's book you know that johnny marr like pentangle heaven forbid you know and it's like these and rory gallagher and people like that so it's like oh that's interesting but i suppose it, that was what made them quite in, interesting and quite unique at that stage in in life really so um I yes but Pent pentangle's nothing to be ashamed of that's just an amazing they're amazing Yes, but it's interesting because you mentioned prog rock because my older brother, seven years older, during that 70s period was prog rock 
central. You know, it was all, yes, Genesis, Wishbone, Ash, Barty, James Harvest, the solo work of Rick Wakeman, Steve Hackett. I loved it all. I'd sneak into his room, play these records, go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Put them back, kind of shuffle out again without knowing. But he did have also Deep Purple, Black Sabbath and Focus at the Rainbow. So I, I'd sort of put those on because, you know, thinking in the mid 70s, you know, there was nothing like it on the radio, was there? So it was like... Yeah you know, King Arthur and, and the Knights of the Round Table and hearing that vocal, I think it was Vivian Stanshaw. It's like, what the hell is that? You know, it, it was just, it was so exciting, you know. So um, I'm glad you, ha- you, you have a love of prog rock. Cause... Yeah, there, there was another band, do you remember a band called Griffin as well? It was medieval prog. It's, again, it's just, prog had this thing of because it was so, <laughs> nothing had been done like that before. It, it, it opened up all these other little portals where you'd get these crazy bands like magma forming with their own language, you know, and their own made up language. And like this Griffin doing medieval prog. It's just, it, can, it seemed like there was no holds barred. Anything could be done with it, you know? Yes, this is true. But then, yeah, there was that moment where, you, you know, you realise you listen to music that's kind of been and gone. And that was why when the 80s came and I was that age, indie pop just seemed so thrilling, you know. And I, I also got into the John Peel show during that period. And that was that moment where you just found it fascinating that he'd put in, you know, put on Public Enemy or LL Kill Jail, Bulgarian folk music or... Gregory Isaacs and it was like oh wow this is amazing I'll just go and try and find the seven inch single or go into the go and see them at the you know art center or or the UEA and it, you know I suppose that it's always exciting when that happens so um yes that's that's always an amazing moment so with your musical then journey after your covers band did you then continue you know forming and reforming and reinventing yourself no, what I did basically, crazy. It didn't work out with the band. I mean, that they went on without me, and good luck to them. They, they were really, really good. Um, but I thought, what am I going to do next? Oh, sorry. Um, I, I took vocal lessons. I, I took singing lessons during my time with the band because I was getting serious problems with my voice because it was getting hoarse. So I went to um, a singer, uh, an, an English national opera principal called Keel Watson, and he taught me how to sing properly i mean properly um he should he took the mechanics of singing but he said basically once you've got the mechanics you can do anything and i i i, I left that band and i thought what am i going to do next shall i do another band and then it was one of those epiphany epiphany moments where my, my auntie maureen bought me a frank sinatra cd saying you know you need to listen to some proper music and i basically i, I was playing songs of swinging lovers in the car and I was singing along with it and I realised, my God, this I'm not too far off that, you know, because of the vocal techniques that I developed. And I became a crooner. That's what I did. And the, and the irony was that after 10 years slogging around the toilet circuit in, in the indie band, playing the Lady Owen Arms and playing all these gateway venues that you had to play to play the fiddler, I actually made <laughs> I made more money in in six months as a solo artist doing covers that I did in 10 years in, in, in an originals band. And, and that's what I've done ever since. I've, I've been I've been doing covers for the past thirty years. I I, I now work specifically in care homes. Yes, gives me so, that that gives me so much time to to, to to concentrate on the books. So I did twenty five years in in doing weddings and restaurants and private functions and masonics. And now and then one day somebody said, "Do you want to do a care home?" And I thought, "Well, that's a few rungs down the ladder." And then, but I loved it. And then after that, I just 
filled my diary with so I do I do like four or five gigs a week now I've moved from London to Salisbury so I do four to five gigs a week now in dementia units and Alzheimer units and that frees me up to do this other thing fantastic god that yeah. sounds so amazing and does your set do you just play do you change it or do you keep it pretty much the same and well, I've, got, and... I, I've got like the the remnants of the club set that I used to you know do when I when I did the work in those clubs and, and the weddings and and the restaurants and I, i've got i i honestly i know about four thousand songs at the top, top top of my head without sort of looking at lyrics yes. um but i i spoke to bernie keith from the bbc about this a few weeks ago we had an interview and as i said when you get to 15 years of age you don't stop listening to music okay so even though the residents in my care homes are in their 80s or 90s they do like a little bit of Kesarasaram. They do like a little bit of Side by Side and Flanagan and Allen, but they were still listening to music when they were forty and fifty. Okay, mm. so because of that, I'm 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 doing T Rex, Johnny Cash is creeping into Steve Harley, you know, like Steelers will, and then as I get on on as I go on and on, um, like in five years' time. I'll be playing music from 1975. I, I've already noticed that in the past 10 years that the requests are changing. Where I'm yes. being I'm being asked for the Clash and the Pistols now by people that are 70 and 80 um, and 65. Whereas five years ago I wouldn't because we're aging with them, David. Do you understand? Yeah, abs- no, absolutely. So it's, it's... it's not it's not the cliche of they just want knees up Mother Brown. They don't. They want. They're obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash and Billy Fury and Billy and Buddy Holly are an integral part of this of this set that I do. Yes, but they still like Frank Highfield. Then they get into the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks. And as I grow older, the audience grows older, and so we get closer and closer to the seventies and the eighties. Yeah, absolutely. So does that mean when you get into the that kind of suddenly you're you're playing to old punks who are a little bit sort of forgetful and and stuff? Will you do those songs and that period in that style of you know like crooning? Will you be sort no, of no. Keep... No, what what happened? Sorry, I, I I misled you there. I was only a crooner for about ten years, and then my agent, one of my agents, said to me, "Look, you pick, um, could do you play guitar?" And I said, well, "Yeah, I do," because I used to be in a band. But I, I need to brush it up. And the second that I sort of knuckled down and started to play guitar properly, um, my workload, you know, increased by four hundred percent because I could then do like rock and roll and country, etc. So right. Um, so so the answer is. I do the crooning when I'm doing Matt Monroe, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. That's all crooning to backing tracks. But when I do the country stuff on the rock and roll, that's me with the yes. electric guitar playing along. Yeah. So have you? Are you sort of knocking at that point of like people like Bruce Springsteen, the Sex Pistols? Oh, yeah. Oh, pistols. I've been asked. Yeah, because you see, it's not just what you've got to remember with the bench, David. Is that unfortunately it's an illness where it's i know the cliche that it, it is is that it's just you know hits older people unfortunately i i play to people in their 50s late forces that have got dementia yes. you know so their set lists are a little bit different to the ones to the ones that are older God. um in a weird way, I mean, I mean, it's a horrendous thing, actually. There's no getting away with it. Well, all ailments and illnesses are horrendous, but that's another one, isn't it? They've all got their unique horrendousness. But um, it must be incredible to sort of suddenly find yourself 
getting the chords for certain songs, thinking, "Wow, I never thought I'd be doing this live." Oh, yeah. Any that, that, that's the that's the beauty of it. I mean, I, I what was it? I, I played a gig um, on Thursday in Salisbury, and somebody asked me, "Oh, she said you won't have this, but have you got any men without hats?" And I said, "Well, I love them without hats." And Ivan's in my second book, and I we're quite friendly, so. I was doing the safety dance, you know, on, on Thursday thinking, oh, my God, I'd probably do this for nothing. Well, you know, rather than doing <laughs> a job, you know, so you, you you do get that and you think, my God, I'd never thought I'd be playing Rio today. It just depends on who's. And also you get visitors as well, David, and anyone that's in the lounge. I say if you're in the lounge, you're in the show. So so if I get people that are visiting their mums and dads to say, look, you know, I'm not just going to just do Johnny Cash today. What do you like? Yes. And they go, oh, can we have some Smiths or can we have some Oasis or we can have some Morrissey? So I like to sort of in, incorporate everybody that's in the room into the show, no matter why they're in the room. You know, I've done I've done songs for like janitors coming in. So if you hold on, put, put your broom down. Who's your favourite singer? And I just get everyone involved, you know. God, that's fantastic. No, Lovely um... job. It really must nice be job to have, yeah. probably the perfect. So look, then coming to 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 almost full circle. But before, because you've got this book out, C eighty six. But where did you get the idea of doing all your other publications? How did this? Well, you set it up really well because, as you've probably seen by now, I'm, I'm obsessed with music. Um, but my old guitar player from my indie band, he's similarly obsessed with music. That's his that's his life as well. And we had the idea of, you know, why don't we just write some silly letters to, to the local paper just to see and just to see how much we can get away with it you know and so we were right and then martin said well you know why, why don't you play some records to our dads because our dads don't know anything about music and just write down what they say and form them in the, into letters and we'll put when we'll put we'll put, put them on, on the website so it was really funny because we're, we're whereas you and i will listen to the stones and listen to Paint It Black and say, well, that's an iconic song. That's the same pen that bought us Sympathy for the Devil and the same pen that bought us Desolation Row. My dad doesn't care. He would say, well, hold on. If he sees a red door and he wants to paint it black, if he doesn't put enough undercoat on it, it's going to turn out purple. Your Uncle Len tried that and he had to go back to being Hugh. And like that stuff, stuff like that, we write it all down because he then sort of, go off go off track into other things or we'd say you know hungry like the wolf why is it hungry like the wolf why, why is it isolating starvation to wild dogs why can't it be why can't it be peckish like the panda or famished like the ferret or starving like the starling it was just simple things like that and we wrote all these things down and we put them on a website and we thought that that was funny enough so our my, my my dad and his dad were involved. His dad's passed away now, unfortunately. Um, so we built these um, Facebook pages for my dad, and he was down as the co-writer. Um, but it was always a question of me sort of playing records to him and saying, look, um, Martin from Mock Turtles loves our site. He's receptive to getting a letter. I'm going to play you this record now. Tell me what you think. OK. And then I'd write down his thoughts. Um, and that's basically how it started. And we had the idea of sending these things to management because our Facebook fans were getting quite rabid. They were fiercely rabid fans, the same as we've got now. Um, so we thought, let's just, you know, just through this stupid bravado, let's send these to management to see if we can get them to the artists. And of course, we got nothing back whatsoever. And then 
one day somebody said to me, actually, I know Peter Hamill personally, and he's read your website, and he would be receptive to a response. And then someone else said, I met Nick Kershaw the other day, and I showed him your site, and he thinks it's really funny. And then we were getting people saying, my, my my brother's the bass tech for that band or my my sister-in-law does the hair, is the hairdresser for that band. So we were getting through the back door of the industry to get replies to these letters and it grew exponentially to the right. progress that now. That's, that's, that, that, it's as simple as that. It, it was an organic process and it yes. grew like that. A, a, a sort of enthusiastic madness really, wasn't it? Yeah, but the, the key thing is because we got it done through the back door of the industry, we were getting it done through base techs and, like I said, like truck, truck tour drivers saying, well, actually, I'm on tour with Chef Se- with Shed 7 next week. I can put it in front of Rick Witter. It was stuff like that. Um, it was done completely from the ground up and completely by accident because it was never supposed to be a book. And then mm. we went to we went to publishers when we had enough replies and they were saying, you've got to change this. Oh, we've got to change that bit. And I went, no, I, if we're going to publish it, I want it to be exactly as exactly as it is as we've done it. Yes. And uh, and we had, um, I, I was feeling quite despondent because, we, you know, we couldn't get a publisher. And then my dad, in his beautiful, infinite naivety that all pensioners have, he said to me one day, how many Facebook friends have we got now? And I said, I don't know, about two or three thousand. He goes, ask them for a ten pound each. And I went, what? He says, ask them for a tenner. And I went, well, they're not really your friends, Dad. He goes, well, they say they say they're my friends. Ask them for ten pounds if they want to get a book done. And that's what we did. We we launched a Kickstarter fund, and we raised sixteen thousand pounds in three months. Wow, that's and amazing. Then we, and th- then we had the book done because. Through our Facebook community, I had no idea how to publish a book. So I'd be saying to my, be saying to Facebook, does anybody know how to publish a book? Does anybody know a proofreader? Does anybody know a printer? And they, and then people were DMing us saying, my mate will do it, mate's rates for you. He loves your stuff. And that's how we got the first book out. Right. Dear Mr. Kershaw. Dear Mr. Kershaw came out and you went, blimey, that's, that's it. And then, then obviously the bug bit and then you did another one. Yeah, what we did when they did the second one was that th- th- then the majors were interested, you know, because they could see that we'd done it. And we had created a bit of an industry buzz, you know, by raising this money so quickly and being such a grassroots little thing. And then we were picked up by Unbound, which was a similar model. Yes. Um, yeah, you know how they are, Unbound. And th- and they gave us, a, we, we, again, we, we, we smashed Target there and we delivered another really good book called Dear Mr. Popstar. We had the likes of The Knack in there, Eurythmics, um, Deep Purple. It was, a, it was a cross between punk and prog and 80s. And we were delighted. But I don't like projects that sell out, David. And, and, and at one point last year, I went, I'd really like the rights back to that book because I'd really like to make it so that it's done from the front room again. Okay, yes. And I, I'm bound love them they got it completely they said we understand why you're doing this because you're a cottage industry really and it's the reason why people love you is because you are just a couple of ordinary guys with no backup and no machine behind you and uh and that's what i did i, I got the rights back for that book and i put it out again 
this year with extra content. And in 2021, when COVID, when COVID hit, or 2020, I went from the care homes to having a mountain full of work to literally nothing within 24 hours. So I thought, what the hell am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'll just write to some punks because, they, you know, we always get on well with the punks. And we'll just I'll just write some letters to punks to try and get interest you know, in the first couple of books. And before I knew it, I thought, well, if I'm not working, nobody's working. And uh, everybody had all this spread free, free time. So we put out Grammar Free in the UK, a punk volume. And it took six months. But at that point. I got that funded by an entrepreneur who was an Uber fan and he like put up £5,000 for the print and everything. At that point, I thought, I don't feel comfortable taking money for doing this anymore. I don't, I don't want to say called the money. So from that, from there on in, we we give like a, a huge donation now for every book sold across our range. And we give we give that to musicians against homelessness. And we oh, fantastic. That, that, that was a no brainer for me because I thought everyone's doing this for nothing. We've got the fans linking this with bands for nothing. We've got the bands doing it for nothing. And I don't think it's ethically right for me to. Yes. God, that's quite amazing. So that's just, so then, so that was 2021. So then when, so did you then have to sit down and think, what's the next, what's the next? I never do, David. I never do. I never do. If you ask at the end of this interview, what you're doing next, I'm going to say, I've got no idea because it's, it, this thing is a little bit like Alan Partridge. It's like Steve Coogan trying to leave Alan Partridge. He can't do it. It just keeps on dragging him back. Yes, okay? that's true. So I've got no plans to do anything else. And it after I finished, you know, the last three books, that was I thought we're done now. And then Ian Key, our good friend from Louder Than War Radio, said to me, "Listen, just for a laugh, why don't you write some letters to?" indie bands, C86 bands that I love, like the Orchids, the Orchids who he loves. Just do it for fun, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll just publicise them on the radio. I, I'll just read them out on the radio. And then before I knew it, David, I had a book. Yes, that's um, that's really impressive, actually. So yeah, so C eighty six suddenly became the next the next one, which you you're sort of obviously this is this is a good time to do it because because obviously I've been doing these interviews with C eighty six type bands for a while, and I think when I started about five years ago, it wasn't really. I mean, it, people were a bit like, hmm, interesting. I don't know why anyone's interested, but now there's been you know like Cherry Red Records keep Cherry Red Records keep bringing out their compilations. So they started in '86, went up to '91, then gone back to '85, and there's been so many people are writing their memoirs. Um, you know, there's books coming out on Sarah Records. There's two on Sarah Records on fanzines. So so suddenly something that was nearly 40 years ago, actually it was 40 years ago has become such an interesting thing. But I think 10, 15 years ago, we'd have just had tumbleweed, wouldn't we? And no one would have cared. But now it's well, like... I, I, but I, I didn't know what it was. I, I mean, and I, I consider myself not, you know, not much of a slouch when it comes to music. You know, I, my knowledge is quite extensive. And when, when Ian said to me, right, to see 86 bands, I didn't know what the hell it meant. I had to look it up. I didn't know what it meant. And then I realised it's quite a, a broad church and... Um, then I got in touch. It was Nick from Precious Record. Yeah, Ian Ian Key said to me, "If you want this to to, to be a book, because we've got like thirty letters, you know, you know, when you got a project, you thought 
I've got too many letters for it not to be a project, but not enough for it to be a project, you know? Yes. And I, I had 30 letters. I thought, oh, God, you know, I've, I've got David Devon and his spirit wife here. I've got the new, I've got new Fosdom automatic daffodils. Um, it'd be a shame not to do something with them, but I can't publish a book on 30 letters because that's only like, like 45 pages. So Ian said to me, contact Nick from Precious Recordings and contact Matt from Cherry Red Records and contact Claire and Matt from Sarah Records. And if they like what you're doing and who wouldn't, because nobody loses, it's just a funny thing. You know, you might you might get some leads from them and they all just pummeled me with leads. You know, right. and, and, and they did say to me, to be fair, they said, you know, we shouldn't really be confiding this information. I said, look, I've been doing this for, 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 for pushing 15 years now. I, I've got a golden file of facts. You know, I've, I've got emails of people that, you know, fears for fears, etc. I said, I promise you I'm to be trusted. And, the, and it, the fact that we managed to get three books out of this proves that we can be trusted. And um, I, I contacted all the contacts and say, look, I've been given your email in, in confidence. I promise it's not going to go anywhere else. Are you interested in this project? And 90% said yes. Yes, I'm absolutely brilliant. I think actually what I found as well, that most people, there had been enough period of time for them to process and let go of any of that angst that happens when a band finishes because let's face it there's always a little bit of angst just a bit of un- <laughs> and it's not, um, it's, it's not just that David it's, it's, it, it, it's a really really good point because people say to me why don't you do 2000 you know, like acts, acts from today I say because normally there's a machine there you know I have tried to get new acts. I tried to do new new acts. Sometimes, and the management will say, "Well, what will the angle be? Or can you write about the new album?" And like when you're dealing with C eighty six and indie and eighties and nineties acts, whether it be punks or pop music, they all are very comfortable in who they are now because thirty years has gone past, and that they don't mind poke, poking fun at themselves. And as you say, there's no animosity and they've had 30 years to be who they are within within the business you know and all the scars have healed and there's there's been a couple of instances in this book where I actually wrote to a member that left one band in 1982 I thought oh my god is this going to cause trouble and it hasn't because that there's no they're all it's all love there you know yes well I think that's that's always a nice thing because when I was doing this I thought the one thing I don't want is to become I don't know, some sort of period, a kind of a gossip thing of, oh, so-and-so said that about the, the the experience they had 30 years ago and and sort of stir the old, some old wounds or, un, no, you well, know. Again, again, as I said, I'm four books in now and I've been doing this for 15 years. And sometimes you'll get, you know, you, in this business, you get, an, you get this inner radar, don't you? You get this gut feeling something's right or wrong. And there's been a couple of instances where, an artist has tried to use us as a platform to snipe at, to snipe at an ex-employer. You know, I'm still owed money, or whatever, and I've got to go. I've had to go back and say, I'm sorry, but I can't include you in the book unless because this is this is not the place. You know, I'm yes. not going to be your battlefield. And, and <laughs> they be the Walter White. They come back with, I don't know, go back and write something properly. Um, so. Yeah, there has been instances where that might have happened, but I've stopped it happening. Yeah. Yes, I think. Well, I've always thought, okay, let's, um, you know, especially when it's about a certain certain record label that people 
mentioned sometimes and it's like yes anyway let's skip that bit and uh, let's get on to the next bit before we get sued um so yes so so when did it because it what i'm really amazed and impressed with because being a complete nerd the the amount of obscure bat i mean i say obscure but they're kind of they are obscure and yet they're not they really are obscure aren't they which for any fan of that period loves it because you think oh indie pop they'll mention sometimes you know oasis and blur gets mentioned you think that's not indie pop that's just mainstream but you want the most obscure little band who's done you know a john peel session a few flexi discs possibly an album then broke up and you think yes that's that's the genuine article so you managed to absolutely get the 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 real deal on this didn't you yeah, that's a good point because I think one of I think the sea urchins did this amazing reply where James basically said, "I've been sitting in the attic, Mrs. Habersham like, for the past thirty years, waiting waiting for some attention. So thank you for including me in your book, you know." But um, I spoke to Paul Putner the other day. He, he, we, we, he he's a fan of what we're doing, and Paul he's a comedian, and you might see him on telly. Um, and he's, he he actually wrote one of the testimonials in in this book, and he said to me the other day that he thought that David Devont and his spirit wife were the best Britpop band there was. And I'm just really struggling to disagree with him, really, if you look at the quality of that of, of some of their work. So you, you you look at hidden bands like you're saying you, they're obscure, and then you play them and you go, this is absolutely incredible. I mean, I I, I listened to um. I didn't know anything about the dentists at all. And then the first record I heard, because when an artist gives us a green light and says, yes, I agree to a letter, I then do a deep dive into them. I, I lived that band for as long as it takes to do that letter. Yes. So the first so the first thing I do is is look into the lyrics to see if there's anything I can, that I can pick up on and get the wrong end of the stick over. And then I listen to the music to get a feel from the band. And I listen to, um, um, what's that? Dentist song, I, 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 the marvelous dream or something. I, yes, I, um, yes, I, I had the most. Oh, there was, there's a. I, that's the one that starts with. Is it the it, the sixty six World Cup? Isn't it? I think. I don't know. I only saw the live version, which is a place called the Time Bomb Club or something, and it just starts off with this little sub Johnny Marr riff, and it's such a beautiful little simple little riff. Um, and you listen to it, and you think. Why wasn't this band huge, you know? Um, but then again, when, I'm, I'm a massive Cardiacs fan, and the reason why Cardiacs never got huge is because basically it was 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 the pre, the press dictated a lot of the time who was going to get big and who wasn't going to get big. So you, you look at bands that are obscure, and sometimes the obscurity is nothing to do with any inability or or, or, or the fact that they were any worse than than the bands that made it. It was just a lottery, and some bands got through, and some and some bands didn't. Whether it be the press or the wrong time, or they were ahead of their time, which is a lot of the case, you know, a, 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 the case a lot of the time. Um, there's just because a band didn't make it doesn't mean to say they're any worse than the bands that did, you know. Yes, well, absolutely. Well, I think there was a bit of a golden period as well in the eighties because though it wasn't great, you know, seventy nine Thatcher gets in, then we have, you know, as I always say, there's the Falkland War, there's the miners' strike, there's a huge amount of unemployment, and so a lot of people were just feeling like, well, there's no future. There's also going to be a nuclear war we felt on the horizon. And so there was a job seekers allowance and the enterprise allowance schemes that gave people 
well, it was like there weren't jobs. There wasn't much in in terms of education. So there was a lot of people just signing on or just having one year doing their enterprise alliance schemes, being a musician and thinking, oh, actually, we could form a band, get 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 a single, see if John Peel plays it. And and I know this is a simplified story, but then, you know, oh, the John Peel session. And then it's like, oh, perhaps we'll take it a little bit further and get a little tour bus and do one of those tours around all the art centres and and uh, in in the UK, which is always quite good because because most cities and towns would have an alternative indie night, wouldn't they? New Wave Night or something like that. So then they picked up that bit of traction, that first album, things going well, second album, bit tricky, third album, it's all over. <laughs> it's all yeah. over. But, but it did mean that there was a lot of music. And then we had, you know, three weekly music papers with huge circulations. And then there was John Peel, Janice Long, Kid Jensen and all that kind of stuff. So you had those... Um, I suppose people, the gatekeepers, wasn't it? That they, well, they you, had were... the same, you, you had the same thing with with metals, because you had Tommy Vance doing the same thing for metal and, and you know and pushing bands uh, that, that that wouldn't have had a platform otherwise. And I read Nigel, Nigel Tassel's book, and that that was really interesting for me because it actually there was a couple of artists that I, that I couldn't find a way into where, where I didn't have any direct contact. So I was trying to get to them through LinkedIn or Facebook. And then I'd read, read Nigel Tassel's book. And that was, he, he would even like give me pointers as to how we got to each artist, you know, and I, I'd follow that road. But as he said in his book, if it was, it was just John Peel. It was just having that platform. You know, if John Peel plays your song, that gives you your little bedrock and then, I mean, that, that's certainly the case with 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 Fuzzbox, wasn't it? You yes. Know? And yeah, there was a lot of bands who just had a bit of a go messing about, making a bit of a noise, and then suddenly thinking, you know, John Waters saying, "Would you like to do a session?" Or we just yeah. played your yeah. single. Yeah. Yeah. And in those days, you know, there was a huge, you know, they had a big sort of listening kind of population, which is around the country. So suddenly, if you had a, a small tour playing sort of these smallish venues of 200, 300 people, you could almost guarantee at least 150 people would be there and possibly, you know, it'd almost be a sellout. And you think, well, that's that's impressive, considering about 12 months before they they weren't even formed or could even play an instrument. So yeah. it did it did increase that kind of level of... Um, yeah, kind of creativity, and and obviously from from your book, you've you've included a huge amount of these bands, which is which is just kind of awesome. So going back to how you do it, then you think right, I'm going to write to Big Flame, but I'm going to play Big Flame music all week until a lyric jumps at me, and then I'm going to send them a letter. Is that how it works? Well, I I don't want to give our our you know. Otherwise, you'll do one. You, you'll do one. No. How I do it is this, okay? First of all, I get a green light from the artist. So, so there's no, again, there's no trickery involved, David. I mean, pick, somebody said in an Amazon review once, oh, it would have been much better if the artist weren't in on the joke. No, it wouldn't, okay? I say to the artist, look, we've got a pedigree here of three very, very silly books that have got a great big fan base. And at that point, some of the artists say, I already know about you. Like Brian from Catherine will say, you could, he said to me, you can finish your pitch. I've got the first book because I heard it on Radio 4 back, back in 2015. So I pitched to the band and I say, look, just imagine that you've got the opportunity to get your own back on that bloke that's managed to barge his way in backstage. He's got a laminate. No one knows how he's got it. And he starts to talk at you about what your songs are about. Just imagine we're that guy and you've got the chance to vent 
okay and we'll have a little jewel about and then we'll have a little jewel and we'll publish the results in a book so what what i'll then do is i'll look i'll go to discogs i'll look at everything they've ever recorded okay whether it be b-sides and i look at every single title they've recorded then i'll go to um song facts or lyric freaks and i will find um lyrics as many lyrics as I can find, okay? I'll try to find lyrics where um, one song contradicts what another song will say. So, I mean, so, I mean, to put it into broad terms, if you look at Sheena Easton, she's got one song that says, um, I'm a one-man woman, and yet another, another song, she says, I won't change my world for, for no single man. So you contradict those things. Well, you said that, but then you said that. But with the indie stuff and with the punk stuff, you say, you look at any thing that's in the lyric where there's a crack and yes. you go well actually i've got you there because that can't mean that um but sometimes if i can't find anything <laughs> i mean we call ourselves the compliance department or internal audit if i can't find anything and, and everything's and the records seem to be in order i will just completely get the wrong end of the stick and just play the fool and just completely be as stupid as possible. And, right. then if I, and, and the reason why we do that is because a pivotal moment for us when my dad was still, you know, heavily involved was Stiff Little Fingers said, we want to, yeah, we, we love your stuff. We, we would be receptive to being in one of your books. So I started to play my dad some Stiff Little Fingers. And he went, um, there's nothing funny about this your mother and I lived through the troubles, you know, we lost a friend, you know, I won't go into detail. Yeah. And I, and I said, yeah, you're right. There's nothing funny about this at all. So let's just get the wrong end of the stick. And they've got some good, get it, got to get, got to get away. Let's pretend that's about a travel agents. Okay. So we'll either, we'll either find an actual discrepancy, like saying, no, Mr. Kershaw, it wouldn't be good to be in your shoes because you obviously take a size six and I'm a size eight. Okay. That's, that, that's, you know, that, that's a, a proper incongru incongruity. Yes. If we can't find anything, we will just, we'll just make up a stupid story and then we'll invite the, the artist to come back and write whatever they like. Sometimes when the, when the artist come, comes back and writes in character, they'll reveal something about that song that they've never revealed to anyone before. And they'll say, thanks for the opportunity to at last say that, because I've, ne I've never thought to say it before. So even though it's as, as ridiculous and as stupid as this project is, you do get gems about songs that maybe they wouldn't have disclosed before. Yes. So, so what I'll do, in a nutshell, discogs, look at everything they've ever recorded. Then I'll look at every single lyric that I can get my hands on. To see if I and, and to see if, if any li lyrics in one song contradict the lyrics in the other song, and if I can't find anything that's blatantly wrong, I'll just make up a stupid story. Fantastic! Um, and then I say to the artist, I don't care what you come back with. You can come back with whatever you like, and as long as it's not getting into the battlefield territory that we spoke to before, yes. I'll print it. I'll print it. Brilliant! And we've always we've always said, David. We were told years ago by a publisher, you know, these letters are funny enough to publish standalone. But the fact that you've got replies, our letters are the bread and the replies are the jam. OK, 
pardon pun. So we know that everyone reads, buys a book for, for the replies, but of all people, Chesney Hawks said, this is the funniest, most interactive pop project that I've ever seen and that there probably ever is. Um, we are... We're a bit of an industry seeker. Everybody in the everybody in the industry knows about us, but in terms of retails and we're not in the mainstream. And I'm not too disappointed about that because I don't ever want to lose this cottage industry little vibe that we've got. Do you understand? Yes, absolutely. No, and also, as with most bands I've done you know, interviews with from that period, I mean, when they were on the little label, they quite enjoyed it. And when they signed to the major label, it was like actually we're not really enjoying this anymore shall we just exact that's exactly what i did when I, when I was with unbound as i said i got a great book but i thought if i want to change a paragraph it takes three days for it to come back whereas yeah that was it i thought we've lost some as as, as grateful i'm grateful that we got a good book but i'm equally grateful that they said you can have the rights back because we know why you want them back so i prefer to be like chipping away giving a little bit to charity doing it all from the front room and knowing that any at any point any of our fans can just DM us on Facebook or contact us, and I, that 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 and there's no there's no machine. Yes, I, I I love the fact that it is as it is now. And 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 you seem to have I've just noticed on your Facebook page, been getting an amazing amount of enthusiastic press from all the people that you wrote to who've got copies of the book, you know, on well, on their on their the, profile the, the, the way i see it and the, look, some of the artists said once i started the reply i was having so much fun okay and i can't put that in the pitch i can't say to them please be in our book you'll have so much fun okay but once they get started like um the, the girl from salad she said to me on the strength of writing this reply i'm actually going to write my memoirs Excellent. And I, 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 no, I've had it before. Peter Jones, I'm sure, the, 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 the guy from Pill. There's definitely been artists that, that, have, that have done replies to us and as a result said they've written their own books because they said, oh, I've got a little artist. Like Andy Golding from um, uh, Wolfhounds said, um, okay, I really enjoyed that. And then one of the reviews from Joyzine, written by Andrew Wood from Ultrasound, said, the, the Wolfhound's reply is a masterpiece of prose. And Andy's gone, oh, okay, I'll take that. And that's so that's germinating in his head now as to what he's going to do next. But the way I see it is nobody loses. Okay? Yes. We have fun writing them. The artists have fun replying to them. The fans, if if you love an artist and then you find out that they're funny and that they have got the capacity to make fun of themselves, what are you going to do? You're going to love them even more. OK. And Rupert Hine, this, you know, the one I'm producer, he was at our book launch in 2008. And he said every musician, no matter how serious they are, everyone has got this little streak of, of mischievousness inside them. And if you can mind that, OK. They can have great fun with it and yes. nobody loses it. Nobody loses. This is just a bit of silly fun. Um, but then John Robb, who did the forward to our book, he said, culturally, you're doing something important because no one's ever done this before. No one's ever written in a, in, a, in a comedic style to an artist and then got little gems back. Yeah, well, I, absolutely. I think it's fantastic because, we've you know, people are writing their books. People are making these films from 
about you know bands like Rima Rima or the Wedding Presents, um, George Best album. There's you know fanzine books and record label books. But again, this is just another. This is just another little project that gives gives that scene, which is let's face it, five years ago no one was bothered about kind of uh, an interest and and all these yeah, people. I'd have still written the book, it, even if there was no interest five years ago. As I said to you when we had our our EMI discussions, you said to me, you are actually hitting this at exactly the right time. I didn't know that, okay? And if there was no interest in C86 now, I'd still publish the book. Yes. Just for the fans of those bands. I think there's something inherently funny in in doing obscure things. Well, I have to say, because actually when you said that, I thought, God, the one... The one music genre which took itself really serious and i didn't at the time could could cope with it at all but now I'm, i've loosened up slightly i'm still uptight but was goth you know it was just so pompous and over the top and it was about fairies i think that would lyrically i used to have real problems with that but now i'm just thinking oh it's fine these people are all fine they just took it all a bit too much and wore too much black but i just think that, that would be hilarious you know, well, because... we, we've done one we've done one we, we, we've got the we've got Bauhaus in the second book and it's one of the it's literally one of the funniest one of the funniest letter exchanges we've ever had because I wrote to David J. Haskins, the undertaker, and said, Would you mind doing this? He went, I love it. Because I, I always send them a pitch and I always send them a free PDF of the first couple of books. He says, I absolutely love it. So I sent him the book and I said, In your song Bella Lagos is dead. Um, are we to understand that there will be in the future more um, more, more more songs about celebrities whose whose animals die? Will we have Ronnie Corbett's dead the the hamsters of the the hamsters of the, the conservatory? Will we have George Formby's dead? The cats have left the kitchen, and he just come back with this blisteringly funny reply and his fan base went mad over it because like you said <laughs> they're not used to goths being funny and it was hysterical yes absolutely so when when you got because it's an amazing list of bands did you have a problem saying right i've got to stop now and and sort of draw a line and put a deadline on it because obviously <laughs> yeah yeah i did because i, I, I... All right, I'll be okay. I've not told anyone this before. I was I was aiming for eighty six for for it to be C eighty six. Okay, I was aiming for it to be to, to be eighty eighty six bands, and um, but it got to the point where I had eighty five replies. I had one hundred and fifty five pages fill, filled, and I had another six uh, six letters outstanding replies. But the trouble was, David, somebody leaked it. OK, so what I did, I, I, I'd actually I'd put the PDF like an idiot. I put, I, I put the PDF online so I could see what it looked like. And I published it by mistake, thinking that it was just for author copies. It was right. a schoolboy a school school error. Somebody found it. And I thought, I've got to get it out now. So I actually, I actually released it a week before it was supposed to be released. And um I said to the missus, well, I really wanted 170 pages because that's the same size as the previous ones. And I said, but I'm still waiting for job for John Robb's forward. I think as soon as I get that, I'm going to have to release it because people people were already buying it and already and already and already um, reviewing it. So it, it it came in at 155. So it's shorter than I wanted it to be, 
But as Imogen Bebblesser said in Blitz magazine, she goes, this is a book that just about doesn't outstay its welcome. So I think if, if I'd have gone, I think it's fate that, that actually made, made all this happen. Because if I had got to a 90 or 100, it would have just been too much. Yes. There you go. And um, I mean, do you do you have then that capacity if you, you know, in six months time thinking you could include you could reprint it and have a few extra ones in if you feel the kind of need or do you feel like that's it? Could, the... Mate, I've already what's happened now is six bands that didn't meet the deadline. I've still got their replies back and I've said, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry you didn't. We didn't get it done in time. Um, and I have thought about doing that. But the disadvantage I've got with it is that. It's not fair on the people that have already bought it. Yeah, I know. I know. People did that with CDs. They used to find it really upsetting when they go, oh, no, they've just bought out another, the same one with an extra disc with stuff. Now I feel a bit done. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 that's exactly why. Otherwise, I mean, there's three replies that I've got. I've got one back today, actually, as well. And I said it's too late, but it was a fantastic response. And I thought I could put it in, but it's just it's not fair on the people that have bought it. It's just not right. No, never mind, God. I guess because, you know. because it's genre based as well, David. I can't do another one. You see, if I if I if I try and put a C eighty six letter into a project which is like has got like Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics in it and Nick Kershaw and Howard Jones, it's not going to sit. So I'm very as, as again as silly as all this thing is, I'm still very precious about how it's done. And some people said to me, "Why don't you get so and so?" Band in this book that they're indie i've said it doesn't quite fit the brief i've got this indefinable radar as to as as, as to what is going to fit the brief and what's going to be really pushing my luck yeah but that's why i've gone c86 and shoegaze and Britpop and 90s indie because it all somebody that's into c86 is generally into shoegaze as well or is generally into Britpop as well so yeah that's absolutely that's the, that's why I've got this all-encompassing thing where it's twee pop, Sarah records, eighties, yes. nineties, a couple of two thousands. Because I think if you like that band, you're going to like that band. Yeah, there is there is an ethos, there is a kind of a spirit, isn't there? There's a sort of boy energy to, that your your collection of bands kind of ticks, you know. So um, yes, you can't you can't sort of be particularly like. So what the hell is that band in there? Shampoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I think they'd fit. I did try and get them, actually. I think they would have fit. Um, but if somebody said, oh, I don't know, can you put a 70s pub rock pocket? Uh, can you put a 70s pub rock band in there? And I'm going to say no, because it's not indie. No, no, it's fantastic. I really, I just think it's genius. I think it's so brilliant. And I'm so pleased you've done it. It's an accident. It's just an accident. But um, yes, but although in a bizarre way, all, most of those bands would also say their their career in music was an accident that um, went further than they ever expected. But it's just brilliant. It's just I just love the fact that there's so many bands that like the janitors, like the Fuzzbox, you know, the Poo Sticks, you know, they yeah. were just they're just all such special. And they've all done a body of work, which is like as you because actually, to be honest, in the 80s, it was hard. Or in a lot of those decades, it was hard to hear music, even if you wanted to, because there was no streaming. You'd either go to the record library, and if you had enough money, you might be able to buy it if the record shop owned a copy. But a lot of times, you just missed it, and you just, you know. But decades later, you get a chance to listen to some of the the bands that you missed, 
and you think, oh my god, this is such a great record. This is so good. I can't believe I didn't listen to it. Well, like I said I, I used to play an indie. I, I was in an indie band for ten years, and I, I'm really pleased that you that you had the Aardvarks on because that they were we we were good. Make, we, we were quite friendly with the Aardvarks. We, we got we got on very well, and um, a lot of these bands like Psycho's Mum. You know, you, you go and see these bands. You go, this is absolutely brilliant. Why didn't they make it? And then you find out that there was, you know, that they played the Bull and Gate and, they, and the A&R just happened to like another band that sounded a bit like them instead. It was all a lottery. So you get, you've got bands that didn't make it that I gig with and you go, God, that was a fantastic band. Um, yes. But it just wasn't their time. Or maybe the, the A&R, maybe the label had another band that sounded a little bit like them so they couldn't afford two bands that that, that, that sounded, you know, a little bit alike, you know. Yeah, I think I think with with a lot of the bands, I mean, most of them would say they didn't make it, but I would say, well, I think you did. But I know that Petrol Emotion, their story was one of those we just always kept missing. But it's like, but you got the I don't know how many records they put out, but they did put a lot. But they was like we got signed to a label, the manager loved us, or the person who signed us, and then we turned up and he said, "I'm really sorry, guys, but Paul McCartney wants me to work with him, and I can't say." No to yeah. Paul McCartney, can I? And then, you know, they're left in a record label that everyone's going, why have we got that band? I hate them. No one knows what they're doing. Should we just get rid yeah. of them? And so a lot of a lot of them have that story and they didn't get a proper manager and and it didn't they feel like it didn't really work for them. But I think, well, you did still do a great body of work. It was just the it's such a bizarre industry and it's such a bizarre kind of chance, isn't it? Everything has to line up with the band to make a sound with that producer in a studio. And then if that all works, then you have to get a record label that likes you. And then you get a DJ or newspaper that likes you. Because you've got the Bardos in there. And I did an interview with them recently and they said things were going well. Melody Maker was really loving them. And then Melody Maker hated them. And that was the end of their career. And you think, oh, such a shame, guys. But it's, it's, the, sa- it's, it's the same as what happened with when, when we talk on Affair about my, my good friend Billy Ritchie. I mean, he was spotted by um uh, Brian Epstein, uh, and they were they were playing proto prog. They, they were they were playing music no one had, had ever heard before. Brian Epstein basically said, "You're going to be you, you're going to be the biggest thing since the Beatles," you know. And then he sent them to America, and then he died. And then and then the the, the guy that took over didn't have the vision and went, "What's this?" And he just <laughs> dro- and, and and then and then he was then preoccupied with pushing Jethro Tull and the Bee Gees. And then he went back to clouds and went, nah, I don't know. What are you doing? Because he didn't see the vision. And that, that yes. was it. End of career. Had Brian Epstein lived, they'd have been as big as ELP. They'd have been as big as Genesis. It's just yes. things outside your control that have got nothing to do with the artistic or creative process. It's just politics and band, bad luck. Yes. It doesn't change, doesn't change how good you are at what you do. And that's it. That's, that's absolutely. Does Luke Haynes appear on in your book? I can't. I'm just looking at the list, actually. Does no, Luke? We, ne- we nearly, we nearly got him because again, when you do this, it's just crazy the stuff you learn. Because when I did the first book, I was a massive Flowered Up fan, Master am. and Tim Dorney said to me, "Would you like a Republic letter?" And I said, well, yeah, but I'm never going to get hold of Republica. He went, we are Republica. Flowered up is two, two thirds. So Republica is two thirds flowered up. And, yes. and it's, the, it's the same with 
Vic Goddard, Subway Set, he said to me, or somebody said, do you want the Joe Boxers? I said, I love the Joe Boxers. How are we going to get the Joe Boxers? Because it's Subway Sect, you know? Yes. And and with 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 uh, Luke Haynes, I wrote, I did a pitch to um, uh, David Westlake from The Servants. Um, we, we had a rapport straight away because he lived in Hayes and I lived in Hayes, or I lived very close to Hayes. And then I find out that Luke Haynes was his first guitar player. You know, and you're getting back to the point where at one point Jake Burns said to me, I could perhaps look at getting Bono for you and you could get you too. And then you think, well, how can you do that? And then it dawns on you, what was what were you two listening to when they were growing up? They yes. listened to stick little fingers. So you get all these little coincidences. And um, I had no idea that Luke Haynes was in The Servants. And I would have loved to have got the auteurs, and we, I think we nearly did, but, but my deadline passed because we had that leak. But um, the stuff where you learn, like also with um, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream, I didn't know that he was in like the boy hairdressers or that he was in these other bands. And j just yesterday, I tweeted out a picture of Scott from the Paris Angels, who's very kindly done a selfie holding the book as you've seen on Facebook, they're all yeah. doing selfies. And then I get a message from the Aspiral Carpets who are mates and they go, he was our first bass player. And you go, it's like this little hidden Pete frame rock yes. band with a tree that no one knows about. I know, I know. And, um, and, it's, yes. and it's, it's, it's cross genre as well. You think, oh, that punk bassist couldn't have played in that soul band. Well, they did. You know, and it, it, it's it's these little networks and family trees where it's got nothing to do with the style of the music. It's just musicians growing up, you know, and it's just an incredible thing. Yes, I know. It's um, it is extraordinary. I know. I love the, those kind of uh, connections, and everyone seemed to play with for a while. Phil King, who was who eventually ends up in lush and it works with jesus and the mary chain decades later but he was also in some of those early indie bands from uh from the mid 80s up to yeah lush and and then eventually jesus and mary chain so there's i just love the fact that some of these people keep appearing and reappearing so well it's the same yeah. it's the same with, well, same with bruce thomas bruce thomas is one of my best friends and when he joined elvis costello in the attractions or when well, he named them the attractions he his history was like in like psych bands and psychedelic bands. And his first band was, was, was with Mick, Mick Moody and Paul Rogers playing bass. You know, he just said when it came to when, when, when the psychedelic thing died, we all just went from Kafkans to, to skinny ties and joined new wave bands instead. But they were <laughs> like metamorphosize, you know, I think there was a connection with Steve Lillywhite as well. Wasn't there? Wasn't he with some, punk band when they started yes he might have been i get yeah. steve lily white and stephen street slightly mixed up i know that i think bruce thomas also shared a house with steve howe didn't he did yeah he did he did i see bruce all the time and he said that he was round his house when he composed that little guitar part called the fish which is on the fragile album they it, it, they, they were in a band called called uh the village as well. he also played with um the, uh, with uh the guy who wrote excerpts from a teenage opera right I mean, th 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 these are all incredible facts for us but as bruce said we were just looking for the next gig <laughs> this is true this is all this is all very true i know with a lot of those punk bands it's funny because they 
they when you see them on top of the pops, they don't really look like punk. They just look like old rockers, don't they? With slightly too much hair, who hadn't quite got the stylist to to sort them out. But um, Bruce said that he saw the Stranglers when they were called Emil and the Detectives. I didn't even know they were called that, and it was like in 1970 or 71. Because well, by the time the Stranglers made it, that, that they were they they were getting on a bit, weren't they? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was funny because when I saw Blondie doing that first single, Denis Denis, I think she was in her thirties. Which now she was thirty six. Was she thirty six? Yeah. So I, I was thinking, God, that's amazing. We would have, you know. Anyway, she didn't look thirty six, did she? She was a darling. So well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. But look, Dave, thank you ever so much for this. This has been amazing. And if you want, I can send you the link and then you can put it on your your Facebook page. And hopefully, you know I will. Yes, definitely. And um, yeah, so, and the book is, is it going really well? Yeah, it's going really well. I'm not sure if it's like this thing where it's just been released. So um, it, it's the, considering that it's the smallest thing we've done in terms of obscurity it's the biggest thing we've done in in terms of popularity because i think you nailed it before people are just so what what have they done How have they got the shoppers you know why have they got the shop assistants and like and like and like you know these animal men in one book it's just so ridiculous and that's what's appealing to people because it's just so nothing like this has been done before so in terms of popularity and, and shifting units and giving most of the charity this is pound for pound i said to the missus earlier i said it's only been out for 16 days this is the most popular book we've done yes it's true i'm sure i'm sure stuart, stuart lee will love a copy or get a copy won't he he loves his indie pop from that period well, we've got the Nightingales. That's one of his favourite bands, isn't it? Yes, and uh, he he's he's he often talks about the C eighty six world. So he'll he'll well, be if, on if his. You've, if you've got a way of getting me, to, I'd love a way to get a copy to Stuart. Now I just don't know how to get to him. No, I don't know. Actually, I've just thought of a way that I could get to him. Yes, I'm sure there is actually. <laughs> the Nightingales. You know, I've got a friend. It's a friend of a friend. So, yes, yeah. but that's good. Well, look, I'm so pleased you've done it. And I'm so pleased you're so pleased with the result, if that makes sense. Because yeah, it's nothing absolutely. like doing a project that has such a lot of interest. And you think, well, that was worth it. So, um, yes, excellent. Well, look, nice thank to, you. It's nice, to be this pleasant, it's nice to be this pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> Christmas and all that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, thank you ever so much and good luck for your this project and any others. I'm sure there'll be more. So there you go. Thank you. So, yeah. Yeah. We never know around the corner. Thank you so much, Dave. I really, really enjoyed this today. Yes. Well, take care and, and uh, you. have a great winter. See you later. <laughs> and you take care, mate. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Yes, dear listener, that is the end of the interview. Massive thank you to Derek Philpot for giving me the time talking about his book, or books, dear, but the latest one is the one we were focusing on. Dear Catherine Will, bonkers letters to UK indie bands with genuine replies. And uh, yes, it's an amazing list of book uh, bands that he's managed to uh, get and um, include. So do check it out. Anyway, this has been the C86 Show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And all these interviews have been archived, it's true. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Aren't you lucky? Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.